Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. The pandemic has not brought out the best to me. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. How dare you be relaxing? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I want you to want to do the dishes. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I had nothing to do with this. I was just watching Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are talking about parenting as a team. We're supposed to be doing that, right, Amy? Is that the word? Is that what you're telling me? As an ideal to move towards, we should be parenting as a team, assuming that we have a co-parent. We're not just supposed to be screaming, you don't know how to divide fractions. I don't know how to divide fractions at each other all day because that's what's happening at my house. Yeah. And of course, this is especially challenging if you are not in a relationship with your co-parent. But even when you are in the same house and your relationship is harmonious, most of the time parenting as a team can be a minefield, I would say. Yes. And parenting as a team during a pandemic where you're suddenly taking on multiple jobs that you never signed up for, such as remote learning instructor. Very challenging, Amy, as it turns out. Yes, especially when one parent is perhaps taking on the remote instructor duties a lot more than the other parent who is chatting with their friend on speakerphone about the Jets game. So you're just pulling this example out of the air, right? I mean, this is no resemblance to any person living or dead, right? I do have a little bit like, how dare you be relaxing? Don't talk to somebody for fun. What are you doing? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I do have that. This is serious. And I do think like I have to call myself out first. I'm looking at the man in the mirror, Amy, I think is what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's just lead with an oldie locks alert. Back in my day. I do find that in times of increased stress, my safe zone is I can control everything through screaming mm, at people. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic has not brought out the best in me in that way. And I do find that my spouse, who is my husband, David, is really stepping up. You know, he I have to give him major props. He has been really, really leading the charge and solving some big problems. And yet I cannot calm and quiet my instinct to tell him that that's not the correct way to fold the dish towels. 
which I think is annoying. In what way is he is he stepping up? Like when you yell, he's like, "Okay, let's all go over here." Or how does he step up? No, I just mean in general that in the very beginning of the pandemic, he works from home and always has. And so we have a dynamic where I have a little office. He has a downstairs. We have like a garage apartment kind of thing in the house. And that's his office. And so generally he goes down there and we call it the tunnel because he is an engineer and he does a lot of coding. So if anyone is in a relationship with such a person, they tend to go like way deep down rabbit holes in their work. It's deep work. It requires that, I would imagine. As you say, exactly. It's deep work. And so there are times in the olden times where I would call down to him and say, hey, do you have any idea where this kid's backpack might be? And he looks up at me and it's like the cartoon where the eyeballs are, you know, spiraling. Yep. Spiraling. Exactly. I'm like, oh, never mind. Like, I can tell you're way too down whatever deep work hole you're in to help me find this backpack. And in the beginning of the pandemic, we kind of approached it as, oh, okay, I guess we'll just keep going with our lives and then work around. And he would go down and get down into the rabbit hole and I would need him to come fix the printer because he's the only person who knows how to do that. Maybe a bad <laughs> example, but there would be something that he would need to help me with. And then I was constantly pulling him out of the rabbit hole. And we finally had a conversation where we said, listen, things are not as they were, so things cannot be as they were. And so we need to mark off times during the day where like you're available and not available. Yeah. And I'm fine with not bothering you during your not available times, but I'm not fine with you going downstairs for nine hours and not being available. So and he's been super responsive to that. And and some of it is his work, I have to say, like he can kind of make his own hours. He has a job where he can work off hours, you know, like we can go to bed and he can go back to work for three hours. So we are in a very unique situation that I don't want to hold out as a model because I know most people are not in as lucky situation as we are. But all that being said, I'm just giving him props that he has really dialed in and been part of the solution and really helped me constantly have the conversation of, okay, that was a hot mess this week. What's better next week? And he'll say, maybe I work first thing in the morning and then I come up for these hours and you know, he makes the mac and cheese the way the kids like. So he could come up at lunch and do that. And so he's been very, very good in terms of working harder, later, longer in more strange ways in order to be more available to be helpful at this time. And I have to give him mad props. Parenting as a team in that case means not, you know, it's not, I actually meant something kind of different in my own head when I, when I was addressing this topic. But this is parenting as a team means one at a time. It's tag teaming parenting in this case that and with very clear boundaries, it sounds like five to eight is you. Bedtime is me. Right. Morning is you. And lunchtime is me. And getting really clear about that. So that it doesn't have to be both of you simmering with resentment, loading the dishwasher all the time. For sure. And there's a very practical aspect of it, which is I have X hour amount of work I have to do. He has X hour amount of work. And I think a lot of the work that we're going to talk about in this episode in terms of being on the same page, it's like we've talked a lot about that and how to get there. And I feel like it's functioning pretty well for us. So hopefully, you know, that will continue. I think parenting as a team, this has been my big revelation around this. And when I think about parenting as a team, I mean, pandemic has its special issues and it sheds a special light on 
what maybe isn't working so well. But when I think of parenting as a team, I think of kind of parenting as a team around stressful situations, either chronic or acute, that raise their heads. You have a kid who got in trouble. You have a kid who's out of control. And what I've learned over my almost 18 years as a parent is that the goal is not for you and your co-parent to feel the same level of distress about that thing at all times, or to be putting the same level of focus into addressing the issue at all times, that that is not the goal. Like I spent a lot of years trying to get my co-parent to care as much as me and to display his concern in the same way as me. Yes. And that is not, I don't want to say wasted effort, but it's not the goal to, like, we had a lot of struggles with infertility before we had our first kid. This wasn't parenting, but it was something we were going through as a team. And my focus on it was so singular, right? It was all I wanted to think about, talk about, address, you know, try new supplements for. And he could kind of put it on a shelf a little bit more, which didn't mean it wasn't something he was concerned about. It just didn't occupy his operating system in the same way it did mine. And I took that at times as a sign of his insufficient concern or love for me or, you know what I'm saying? And none of that was true. It was just we were managing it in different ways. And his ability to not worry about it as much as me all the time was what got us through in the end, right? Like we couldn't both be freaking out as much as I was all the time. That wouldn't have been good, even though in the moment I wanted him to so that I felt supported. Absolutely. And where this all begins is this insane dynamic. And this is just to say, you guys are all right about this. When you are dating, you're like, I like the shape of this guy's butt and he's funny and a good dancer. Cut to five years later where it's like, we need as a couple to decide on the correct discipline tactic for a kid who pulled the fire alarm at school. Like it has nothing to do with why you were attracted to this person necessarily. And so yep. of course these dynamics are super difficult. And then I do think without speaking in like grotesque gender, what am I saying, stereotypes, that this is another classic dynamic. I remember there was a movie a long time ago. I'm referencing for some reason lately on the podcast, all sorts of random movies that no one's ever remembered or seen. But it starred <laughs> Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. I think it was maybe called The Breakup. That was about them breaking up, maybe. Anyway, I, who cares? But there was a line. I never saw the movie. Okay. But there was a line in the preview but I have to say, and you refer to old movies that you didn't see, but you remember seeing a preview and having a realization from the 30 second preview. Clearly, I have a kind of mind that only remembers the previews of movies because I did not see this movie. I'm 100 percent sure. Who would? Who would? But they were having a fight in the preview. And she said, I want you to want to do the dishes like that was sort of the theme of their breakup. And this is where we go back to my favorite advice of my mom's, which is you can only address people's behavior. You can't really get into their motivations or their personality. You can't make your husband someone who worries the same amount as you about infertility. You know, you can say, hey, can we put aside a half an hour a day where we sit and either talk about this or I give you updates on what's going on and you listen to them, you can fix situational behavior, but you are, like you said, it's not wasted time, but it's not productive time to have fights that are like, I want you to care more about this thing. 
And then there's the issue of when you are the default parent who's handling, you know, the sick kid, the college application, the troubled kid, you're the default parent, you're doing all the work. And you can have, I think, some well-placed resentment when you feel like your other co-parent isn't getting that you're doing all that work. But then that can also be paired with a reluctance to let them in. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, no, no, you don't get to go. I can get a little red hen, right? You know, that like nursery rhyme or whatever it is. Is it a fable? Is it a... (laughs) It's a little golden book, I believe, Amy. It's a little red hen. She has to do everything by herself, right? And she's like, who will help me bake? And the turkey says no. And the duck says no. Who will help me rule the dough? Who will help me knead the dough? Whatever. She goes through all the steps. And then she says, who will help me eat this bread? And the duck and the turkey are like, sure. And she says, psych. Like, I did it all myself. Now I'm going to eat the bread by myself. And you're not getting any. You can't have any. I can get a little bit little red henny about I did all this work. And yeah, I did go to the doctor appointment. And now I may or may not tell you what we're doing next because it doesn't seem to me that you want to be involved. But then that's just also just prolonging the issue of the one parent doing all the work. And this is, I mean, we've talked about maternal gatekeeping before, which I think is one of those dangerous terms that sounds to me a lot like some other, you know, female-based terms that I've heard in the day, you know, hysteria and all this stuff. Right. The nagging wife, right. Icebox mom, all this stuff, which is like, women have this very particular problem. But I do think... It's natural that we, if you are the primary caretaker, that you do take on a role of, I'm the only person who can do this, Mm -hmm. and therefore, I must do it alone, and therefore, you never help me and are a terrible person. I don't worry about it the way that I do. And it's a valid feeling, but it doesn't get you anywhere I think you want to be. And why this is a problem, why you need to parent as a team is when you are fighting about how much your spouse cares about that your kid pulled the fire alarm, you're not solving the issue anymore. Like the focus and the productive energy has gotten completely away from what needs addressing and is towards who loves more, you know, and who does more and you never this like that. You've completely taken your focus off the alleged focus. And possibly you've opened up a window for your kids to see that you are not on the same page Mm -hmm. and that there is a parent who they can go to who will be more lenient and therefore uh, you're undercutting the very hard one authority of the other parent you know that like if I am super super consistent with my kids and that takes a ton of effort and time and work and fraughtness on my part and then my spouse comes in and is like oh whatever let's not worry about it it is a little hostile towards me you know it's saying you're undercutting what one person is trying really, really hard to build. And that's not great. I have a quote for you. Amy, I knew you would. Yeah. Debbie Pincus, she's a family therapist, because I was trying to sort of, as I always try to do, crystallize, like, is this a problem? Do we need to parent as a team? Well, Debbie Pincus says, yes. She says kids know when their parents aren't unified about their decisions about, say, discipline. And that creates anxiety in the kid because they don't know where the rules are. They don't know where the edge is. And that anxiety will contribute to further behavior issues as they continue to test, right? Is it here? Is it here where you guys will agree that I need to be grounded or is it here? And that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, for sure. Because this is something that kids are, they're like ants with their antenna about. They understand. I mean, we say often that like kids 
are boundary seekers. They mm-hmm. want to find the line because it makes them feel safe when someone says, nope, mm-hmm. that's where the line is and you're going on the other side of it. But a lot of boundary seeking behavior, it is an anxiousness of like, wait, someone's in charge of me, right? I don't have to be in charge of this only by myself. And that's a really good reason to be on the same page because they're looking for that line and then they're going to look to your spouse for the line. And if it's different, that doesn't really feel great to them. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, let's figure out how we're going to fix this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back, Amy, and you've said that we're coming back to (laughs) say how we're going to fix it. We're going to fix this. You go ahead. Fix this, would you? Well, you said a couple of episodes ago something that I think is very useful here. Very, (laughs) it was a trenchant thing that stayed with me, just that you don't ever correct the other parents parenting in front of the kid. That, to me, is sort of the crux of this. Yes, we call this rule, no correcting parenting while parenting is going on. Thank you. That's what I'm meaning to call attention to, because that is the sort of clearest example of not parenting as a team and would be the most indicative to the kid like, whoa, wait, I don't know who's in charge here. And I guess I better try to find out by acting out in even more inappropriate ways. And talking about, I mean, the undercutting of like, mom's so uptight, just have the ice cream. Who cares? Like, that's a terrible undercutting of her. But... I'm speaking in traditional gender roles because it's my orientation as being in a heterosexual marriage, but like primary parent, I'm basically saying primary parent, other parent, Mm -hmm. but also when I undercut my husband by saying, you know, that's not how his jacket goes and talking to him like he's an idiot in front of my children and saying, 
and basically introducing the dialogue of dad's an idiot who doesn't know what he's doing that is just as harmful and really really something that i do honestly think i've gotten better at but it took me some time yeah that's something else i've had to examine in myself for sure because it's an easy laugh and i love a good laugh (laughs) i mean dad's an idiot always plays we've done some videos in our day that examine this fertile terrain of dad's an idiot everybody loves raymond ran for like 1100 years based on that exact premise yeah yeah but i think and it can be kind of you know i mean if you're laughing about it and everybody's having a good time but we just had this this morning and i've talked about this a million times i have a kid who literally my memoir will be called looking for shoes because this kid Mm -hmm. and i i have i was just thinking again this morning maybe i should buy six pairs of shoes but i'm resisting it because i do think it's kind of like a gift of failure like you've got to figure this out and the solution is not just have so many shoes you can never lose them and believe me this kid would lose 10 pairs of shoes right and this morning and we often make a joke when he can't find his shoes of like here we go family it's time to play where are his shoes and we laugh about it and this morning he was like, I can't find my shoes. And I was like, ah, story of our lives. And he's like, I'm really not in the mood to joke about this. And I kind of, I said, okay, let me just help you instead. Because it's not always fun to be the butt of the joke. You know, it's not always fun to be the family idiot. Yeah. Even if you're, you know, a good sport about it, I think it's something that, you know, and again, I tend to be someone who makes a lot of jokes and I have to be a little bit thoughtful about that that it's even though i'm like it's funny it's because i'm not taking it seriously it's because i don't really care look at you know we're just keeping it whimsical it's not always fun to be like this bozo can't even turn on the oven you know it's not always fun i have a corollary to this one that might be even a little more toxic congratulations (laughs) which is don't present it to the kid, don't present a split decision or something you're, you know, disagreeing with your co-parent as a split decision to the kid. We talked about this on the grandparents episode, right? Which is, this is a very classic mother-in-law, daughter-in-law dynamic, right? Which is, I wanted to give you eight scoops of ice cream, but your mom said you can only have one. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't like it when it happens to us. And so it's something that, I think in general, you say all the time, right, that your theme with your husband is same team. We're on the same team. Yes. And, you know, it's very easy to fall into what I call angry coworkers at the daycare mode where you're just like, everyone is working against me and this person and your spouse to some degree is your safe person, right? I mean, so, I mean, I have definitely had that thing where my spouse and I are in the car and I'm like, and another thing, you don't respect my point of view. When I and then like we pull up to the dinner party, I'm like, hi, oh, how are we? We're fantastic. Like I have no problem being kind to people and putting on a nice smile for people, but Sometimes my spouse is the only person who gets the full brunt of the like frustration spiral. Right. Well, of course, when it comes to like extended families and in-laws and things like that, yes, you have to present as a team, which means, yeah, if you're not going to go for Thanksgiving this year or, you know, if things are going to be different, it's up to the person whose family you'll be talking to present that. And when that person presents it as, well, I wanted to, but my spouse said, no, that's a cop out that can lead to some uh bad feeling long term for sure and continue our theme even in these situations and they will come up where 
you know, I mean, my husband and I have it daily, right? Did you say he could go back on his tablet? I just told him he was in trouble for not finishing his homework. Like, there are a lot of miscommunications. And then there are some things that happen because you're actively undercutting each other because you're in a fight. And there are things that happen in a lot of different contexts that go wrong. And I do think that one skill that my husband and I have really built is let's talk about this calmly at a neutral time. Mm -hmm. And then we bring the greatest piece of marital advice I've ever received into the factor, into the equation, which is, oh, this is a good one. (laughs) Never have a conversation where at least one of your feet is not on the floor, Mm -hmm. which means we don't talk about this stuff in bed. Because what ends up happening if we talk about it in bed is that my husband is exhausted. My husband likes to go to bed at 10. I tend to be a night owl and I get a second wind. And occasionally what happens is I scream and yell at him from 10.15 until 1.15. And then he's just like beaten and apologetic and just so tired. And then in the morning, I feel much better about it. And I'm like, oh, maybe it wasn't that big a deal. And he's like, yeah, could we maybe have skipped the three hours where we fought about this last night and so we have tried to very clearly adopt this role where i will occasionally say grab a beer let's sit down on the porch i think things are going a little sideways between you and middle kid and what i see is that i think he's coming to you behind my back to try to get away with stuff and you're giving into it and i'm finding it frustrating and how can we address this that conversation happens in 20 minutes over a beer in a calm situation it doesn't happen when it's happening and it definitely doesn't happen late night in bed when you're like i will now dump all of my frustrations directly like a t-shirt cannon into your face at (laughs) midnight my spouse and i i'm not going to get in particulars because it's my life but my spouse and i just had a kind of a big issue that we had disagreement about how to handle for sure for one of our kids and it actually really worked because we handled it calmly neutrally it required several neutral conversations but we kept it neutral and we kept it polite and going back to family therapist Debbie Pincus she says in these cases if you have a disagreement of course you do it neutrally but you also defer to the person who feels more strongly about it like you know if there's a no then that's a deciding vote or whoever feels that they are right about this and of course the same person can't win all the time it's sort of wiffle ball rules in that case and this is the guy who you always remember and I can't remember this is a one to me this is a ten to me yeah it's epic danger Nick North right he talks about this on Instagram and how it came into play in this deferring to the person who feels more strongly, it was, we needed to have multiple conversations because this was a case where I think each of us thought we were the one who felt more strongly, if you feel me, right? It wasn't like one person wanted to let him stay up late. It was about something bigger. And my spouse was very like, I have strong feelings about this. And I listened to them like, okay, I also have strong feelings about this. And it was so strong that we couldn't really resolve it. And we you know, came together and apart a couple times to discuss it, stayed calm, didn't fight, made the decision. And then afterwards, both felt that we had made the right decision, even though one of us had to sort of come around about it. And it worked really well. But I think what helped was for us to, I really did respect my spouse's difference of opinion about this. And that meant I had to listen very carefully and listen first rather than convince first. And I feel like I finally figured something out pretty recently that you don't have to get them to agree with you. You have to listen to what they're saying. And if they are listened to fully, I mean, maybe it'll change your mind and maybe it won't. But your goal is not to change their mind. The goal is to understand where they're coming from. And I think there's a lot of room to make 
kind of bigger picture decisions when you're having those conversations, which is not, we have to watch the thing of like, you always this, I always this, you always this. Oh yeah. But I do think there is room and my husband and I have been somewhat successful in having the conversation of, we tend to get to a place where I feel underappreciated and you start hiding because you know I'm mad. That's a dynamic we can name in our relationship. And so that we're not always starting from zero again. And I've been married, whatever I've been married, 13 years or something. This took a while to get to, but I think it's good to name it. I have some ideas about how to approach that conversation. Let's take a break. When we come back, I will explain them. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Listen, we were all young once, and we dreamed of romance and finding that one true love. And each of us had a list of absolutely non-negotiable qualities that we were looking for in a mate. But now we're older and married, and what if we could talk to our younger selves about that list of things? We might have some edits. What Fresh Hell brings you qualities you want in a boyfriend, 
versus qualities you need in the father of your children. Boyfriend. OMG, he has to be a good dancer. Husband. Yeah, you are really not spending a lot of time dancing. Find a guy who's good at putting together IKEA furniture. Boyfriend. You know what I love? A tight butt. Husband. You know what I love? A guy who can make 20 pancakes in under three minutes. Boyfriend. I'm also really into abs. Husband. It is imperative that you find a guy who can survive on less than six hours of sleep. Boyfriend. I am such a sucker for a cute smile. Husband. Very crucial to have a high tolerance for weird smells. Boyfriend. And for sure, he has to have sexy eyes. Husband. For the love of God, do you realize how infrequently you'll be staring into those sexy eyes once the baby comes? I beg of you, go with the dude with some basic plumbing skills. This has been Qualities You Want in a Boyfriend versus Qualities You Need in the Father of Your Children from the What Fresh Hell podcast. So when you get married in the Catholic Church, you have to do something called pre-cana. And it is either a series of evenings or like a weekend retreat intensive where you go away. And some people find it some box they have to check and some people find it a super transformative experience. And it was the latter for me. I was really glad about it. But sort of the point of the thing is here are the tough conversations you need to have before you get married because a lot of people don't. Like, what religion are we going to raise the kids? Or how are we going to deal with money? They don't talk about it until they're dealing with it. And I was very glad to have this sort of formalized opportunity to talk through the big decisions before we got married. And I think you can do the same thing, speaking from, like, I'm the parent of the future. My oldest child is almost 18. So if you're listening to this and you have little ones, I think that you can really get somewhere by starting to talk about some of the big stuff that's ahead of you with your kids early with your spouse. Like, how old are they going to be when we get them a phone? Are we going to be okay with them having a couple beers during high school? Or one that was took several years to work out in my house. Are we going to let the boys play tackle football if they want to? Yeah, I mean, I have a pre story as well. Amy and I are both Catholics. Let me hear it. My husband and I had to do pre-cana and I was just annoyed by the entire process of our getting married in the Catholic Church which is a long story in and of itself but anyway I was kind of like rolling my eyes we had to drive we were living in LA we had to drive like Orange County or so it was an hour drive and I was just moaning the whole way like this is so stupid I mean it was basically my Catholic school girl like everyone dumb except for me (laughs) you were rolling up your skirt right and rolling down your socks oh my god I was rolling up my skirt I was like you can't make me wear a uniform nunny I was like I was on fuego and we were driving down and I was moaning and complaining and moaning and complaining and my husband to his amazing credit said you know what we're doing this thing I think if we go in with a little bit of a better attitude we might get something out of it yeah and I have to say It was one of the most useful things I ever did. And I feel like for us, it revealed that we were on the same page with a lot of stuff. But of course, you do that in a business because everybody does that in a business, right? You have this idea of like, okay, 
this is a partnership that involves, you know, income and work and effort. And so what happens if things start going wrong, but that we don't do that in marriage and what a useful exercise it is. And I think you're exactly right that you can throw your own pre-cana party, basically. Right. And you can always, as we like to say, go back to one, two, mm-hmm. that there are times in my marriage where I have been at a point where I'm like, we have lost the script. We don't even seem to like each other this week, you know, and we're trapped with these kids and we're just glaring at each other and we're miserable. And sometimes we just kind of go on a little bit of a break. Like, okay, for this five days, I really like don't want to see your face. Let's just try to manage the daycare and get through it. But then if we can wait until a calmer period to sit down and also this is one good thing about being old. We don't have the fight in us as much anymore. I was always a person in like volatile relationships. Like I thought a good relationship was like it was fun and you were fighting all the time and, you know, throwing bottles at each other's heads and then making up and like that was my idea of like, you know, romance. Not exactly. I'm exaggerating. But you know what I mean? Like a volatile seems sexy to me, I guess. Right, right. And now I'm like, we got enough problems, man. Let's just figure this. Let's make a system and let's get through the day. And one of the big things about that is like our number one job right now, and this will not be the case, hopefully in 10 years, our number one job right now is taking care of our kids. And it's not that fun a job. And it's not the job that we chose each other for. And but at the end of the day, we have gone from like, you know, fun wedding dance partners to who like get drunk and make out to mountaineering partners who are in like really difficult circumstances and it's uncomfortable. And that's a big adjustment to have to make, but I think it's worth talking about it and making it and being like, okay, next crevasse up there, what are we doing to cross it together? You know, yeah. versus just like, good luck, loser. Yeah. And if your goal, like I'm thinking about like my spouse and I are definitely very same page about the big picture goals in our lives, which are like well-adjusted, happy adults, right? Like that's the goal. And if my spouse thinks that there should be a little more goofing around on the way there and I think there should be, you know, a few more A pluses, then that's something for us to work out between ourselves, not in front of the kids. But it's easy when you know that your spouse, even when they're letting your kid have maybe you know a few too many screens stay up a little too late that their goal is empathetic well-adjusted kids because you've talked about how important that is to you you see what i'm saying like the way you get there the way you get over that do you get over a crevasse do you climb a crevasse i'm not a mountain climber i don't even know if the word (laughs) and as i went to say that word i almost backed away because i was like is it just crevice or is the word crevasse i don't know what the heck is going on with crevasses i'm gonna say crevasse You might come at it like with the pick and I might more use the thing in my shoe. I'm just going to say the word crampons (laughs) for no reason now. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but we're as often happens on the podcast. We've gotten in too deep on a metaphor that we don't we haven't really thought through correctly, but we go too far. But, you know, we have used this metaphor before when we've talked about like how you're mad at your spouse because they're your Sherpa and they're supposed to be helping you deal with this incalcitrant child who talks back to you. But they're also carrying their own tent up the mountain and their own canned goods or whatever. Like they're dealing with their own baggage and also making this climb. They can't just carry you on a pillow up to the top. That is my Achilles heel, which is like talking to my husband like he's my moronic employee and that is the worst mode that we get into which is like 
You dummy. And I am more aware of it. I work really hard against it. But also, not for nothing, like my mom was a therapist and she always had these books lying around and I there was one called What Children Learn from Their Parents' Marriages. I don't know who wrote it, but maybe we can find it. I mean, it was probably out of print. It was a long time ago. Well, I'll put a link in the show page. It was good. But basically, it's a long, interesting book that basically says your child is going to exactly replicate your relationship when they get married themselves. You know, I mean, oh boy, yeah, it's a lot of it's one of those books where there's 400 different examples. But at the end of the day, your child's most natural instinct is to be in the marriage that they witnessed. And so, and it's always amazing to me when I see there are certain things. My dad just moved and we got some of his old furniture. And I always laugh about how much my husband reminds me of my dad, which is very cliche, right? That women marry their fathers. Thank goodness my dad's a great person. But my husband does so many things that remind me of my dad. But one of the things is we inherited my dad's like easy boy chair. And it's just always been a joke that my dad, whenever he gets in the chair, falls asleep. And now my husband, I'll come around the corner. He's asleep in the chair. Like he's actually just morphing into my dad at this point. (laughs) But I think of that often in terms of like, okay, do I want my sons? Do I want to be sitting at a dining room table someday with my sons and a woman who's sitting there being like, could you please stop eating like that? It is gross. You know, I mean, I don't want that. I want them to be, you know, in a marriage. And this is not a one to one, guys. And I'm not trying to say like, if you talk mean to your husband once, you're destining your sons to marry harpies. Like, not, no. But I just do think there's a big picture of like, you want your kids to see you respecting your spouse. And I often have that internal problem where I'm like, it's just me. I'm just having a bad day, you know? But my husband is not experiencing that way. He's experiencing it as like a scary lady is yelling at me. And I don't think we often see our own behavior for how it affects other people because we're very invested in like, it's just me. Why would you be scared by me? Why would you be upset by me yelling at you? Because you're busy invested in your internal story of, of course, I'm acting this way. I'm having a bad day and I need to let it out. This is what I was trying to get at before that like them not showing the same level of distress as you, you view it as a betrayal because when you're feeling dysregulation you try to make other people feel the same dysregulation right like that's why your kid knows how to push your buttons they're feeling cranky yes see teenagers yeah and so they're like have this be this feel this and so when you're doing that and your spouse is not responding that's like infuriating to you because it feels like your level of distress is not being seen but in reality your level of distress is being seen very well and it's this sort of complimentary response that's going to mean that you still get the kids to bed on time tonight even though one of you is really upset yeah it can be a good thing and i think as we go into actual conversations about how to be on the same page and work on the same team the touchstone advice for this my mom was a marriage and family therapist is right only i statements are allowed during the conversation i feel underappreciated when this happens. I feel like there's too much of the burden of the house on my shoulders and we're both working and that's hard for me. Rather than you statements, you stink because you always do this horrible thing and you are angry and mean. That's not as useful as starting with I statements. I think we should say in general, we are talking about generally functional marriages in this entire conversation. If you are married to a narcissist, if you are married to someone who is abusive, who has a substance abuse problem, none of these things are going to work. And so don't hear us saying like, 
You know, if your husband is raging and being abusive towards the kids, start with an I statement. No, if that's <laughs> happening, start with a suitcase. But I think in we're talking about marriages that are generally functional and just need a little bit of help. And we didn't have any really touched on. So I want to get to it at the end when your co-parent is not your life partner or is not anymore and you are dealing with the split decision in two different households. This isn't something that I've had to deal with, but I know a lot of our listeners have. So I want to address that as something special. I mean, it, it would be a new level of complexity if you don't respect your ex and yet have to come to an agreement with them and to not be able to talk about that in front of the kids. Yeah, this is something we should do, try to do a fresh take on and get somebody to get in and talk about because it's not part of our worldview and it's not something that we've dealt with specifically. I do think a lot of the stuff that we've talked about with grandparents and mothers and mothers-in-law and, you know, setting your own boundaries, keeping those boundaries really clear. And okay, so maybe when you go to that person's house, these are the rules, but this is the rules at our house. And from people I know who are in this situation, it's the ultimate long game, you know, yeah, that your ex-spouse may win a million battles by giving them ice cream and letting them stay up late and ignoring your rules and telling them that you're dumb because you're uptight and a loser. They may win a million battles, but you will eventually win the war. And maybe this is the wrong metaphor because it's not winning, but... Go back to the crevasse and the crampons. <laughs> yeah, but like you will eventually cross the crevasse, whatever our metaphor is, because at the end of the day, an adult child will look back and know that like the household that tried to form them into a responsible and good human being was the household more in the right. Mm -hmm. Easy for me to say I'm not in the position, but I do think that, I mean, I find that with, you know, people, you know, have different opinions about my kids and people treat them differently. And, you know, we have different rules at different people's houses and people have different influences on them. But what I always come back to is like my confidence in myself as a parent, that as long as I'm doing my parenting the way that I think I know is correct, that let other people try to influence them in whatever direction. There's a biblical expression, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we my husband and I sometimes talk about that is like, in this house, we will serve what we know to be the right kind of parenting. I'm not speaking biblically. I'm speaking like whatever goes on with our kids, whatever people think about our parenting, whatever people try to, you know, do differently when they're with our kids in this house, we know who we are. And that, I think, is the best way to approach co-parenting as well. And it seems to me it maybe is the opposite of some of the advice we've given in recent episodes about getting through this time. We get through this time by doing next lamppost, next lamppost. But we get through parenting as a team by zooming out, right? By saying, like, the goal is a well-adjusted adult who loves what she does for a living. Then, then it makes it a little bit easier to see that we're coming at it different ways, but with the same end goal in mind. That end goal is, is you know, 18 years away. Amy, you know what you did? What? You solved it. Yes. <laughs> solved it. Nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> our relationships are going to thrive and our children are going to turn out perfectly. We want to know how you're parenting as a team. And you know, there are so many places you can tell us. You can come join our Facebook group and our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. 
You can find us anywhere on social media by just Googling What Fresh Hell Podcast. We're on YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're all over the place, guys. If you can't get enough What Fresh Hell Podcasts, keep looking because there's what more What Fresh Hell somewhere out there. And we'll also put the links to some of the stuff we discussed today up on our website, which is whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.